All right, and that sign up there, it says ameliorate. Uh, ameliorate, that means to make something better. Uh, hold on, wait. I'm grab my glasses. No, that says applause. That sign says applause. That's right. Back to the first joke. Gotcha. Got you there. All right. So, you know, you guys know the drill. We're all a huge part of Weibo TV. So the better we are, the better BJ is. That nice lady over there is giving me a sign saying that the episode is starting in less than 10 seconds. Tonight on the show, we have Kelly Lynn D'Angelo. And let me tell you, it's a cool one. Strap in. Strap in. All right, everyone. Quiet on set, please. In five, four, three, two. Uh, so a couple of years ago, I reached out to you. I was pitching a show at Serial Box, uh, and we wanted to do an all-native writer's room for this, for this series. And me not knowing anybody outside of my friends up uh, that I made in Potsdam on the Mohawk Reservation, I, you know, but none of them are TV writers, right? Like, none of them went into fiction. So um, I said, who do I hire? And you were so kind to send me a list. And on that list was, uh, was even though the series didn't go through, uh, Carly Malmute, who was, who was who was on the list, wound up um, going on and getting her own series to do over at Serial Box. So I want to say thank you because you you made that happen. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm just glad to connect people together, um, doing the good work, putting together the lists, recommending folks. It's it's my uh, something I take a lot of pride in. So I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that uh, great things came about from that interaction. Yeah. Oh, it, it's uh, it's very much appreciated. And um, but we want to, we want to talk about you and highlight the things that you're doing today. So um, I, I I pulled up a whole bunch of things and I wanted to ask you real quick about D and D in a castle. Oh yes, I oh, that, do do that. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about that, real quick? Because I, I just couldn't figure out what it was. Yes, so there was a team of event people that got really excited about the nerd space quite a few years back, um, and they started to do Dungeons and Dragons in a castle. So think of it almost like a cruise ship event, because it's, it's all inclusive and it's you go to this gorgeous play, uh, place and there's food and you know everything's curated. Um, but then they bring in dungeon masters from around the globe who are you know maybe kind of known within the online space and or even some people are not known within the online space. They're just very famous DMs and you play with them for three or four days at a table. And it's sort of like adult summer camp, uh, but very ritzy, so it's great. <laughs> How'd you get into that? Like, What was, what was that segue into, into uh, taking part in the project like that? Well, the people who uh, were on that creative team were familiar with, with my work in the Dungeons & Dragons space. Uh, and me having done Girls Guts Glory and work at Geek and Sundry and have done a few different other TTRPG sort of um, guiding lights, um, it sort of led to that opportunity. And how can I say no? How could I say right. no? Was that, was that something that you were into when you were little? Yeah, so I, well, I have, everyone has their story as to how they have found Dungeons and Dragons for themselves. I had a very specific story. Um, I was 15 and it was after musical theater rehearsal, which I kid you not, is 
I, there was enough going on, and I'm from a small town in upstate New York, um, hanging out with four gay men post-rehearsal was scandalous enough back in the day. And one of them turned around in their car to me as we were driving after rehearsal, and his dad was like, yeah, you should ask them. And Nick, his name was Nick, turned around and said, anybody want to go do something we shouldn't do? And everyone in the car was like, what? We're already being risky. Um, and he said, play Dungeons and Dragons. So I said, yes. And we ran a very short campaign after rehearsals for that musical we were a part of. Uh, but I had the taste of it in high school and I wanted it after. So that's sort of my origin story. <laughs> nice. What was, what was the musical? Oh my God. If you <laughs> need me to remember that, geez, I was a part of community theater so much. I think this wasn't when I was in high I was in one of the original productions of High School Musical, the musical for the stage. I was cheerleader number three. Oh. So. Very cool. <laughs> uh, so, so tell me, so that was one thing, but like I said, you have so many different projects. Um, which one would you like to start off and tell us about? Gosh, yeah. I do a lot of stuff, don't I? A <laughs> uh, litany of things. I guess the predominant thing in my life, like the thing that... Um, takes up most of my space and time and the thing that I'm really putting myself towards uh, energy-wise is my television writing career. So I'm very proudly a television writer and have been um, one, a working writer in the space for over seven years now. Um, and I'm just about to hit some really beautiful moments in my career where, you know, I've been staffed on several shows, five or six shows. And um, it's sort of that next big, okay, so... Now that I've written so many scripts for different projects, what's that next big step? And I'm excited to say that I'm developing a lot in that space. Hey, it's me, God. I know it's been a while, and I haven't been the best dad, especially this century. Well, I was going through some shit, and you know what? I'm not going to talk about it. All you need to know is that I'm doing commercials now. I've got bills to pay, too. Do you have any idea how much I just lost on crypto? A lot. A lot. And so now God needs your money. Like, for real this time. Not like all those other times every Sunday. You know who else needs your money? B.J. Mendelssohn. So give them $5 by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash BJ Mendelson. That website again is buymeacoffee.com slash BJ Mendelson. Buymeacoffee.com slash BJ Mendelson. And if you don't give BJ your money, you and I are going to have problems. Big ones. Commercials suck. And hopefully one day we won't need them. But until that day comes, we have bills to pay, brother. What the fuck is this copy? I, I don't know, man. BJ wrote it, and I think he was high when he did it. How do you know he was high? I just, I read through it, and I just have a I don't know, man. Just read it. <laughs> what kind of bills do we have to pay? Well, for starters, you wouldn't believe how much it costs to feed a super intelligent ape who wants to kill Superman. Yes. First he said he would pay BJ rent, but then some asshole told the ape about squatters', squatters rights. Yep. And he's a supervillain, you know, so he stopped paying rent. Now we all kind of work for him. He's a terrible boss. 
one time he was eating some guy's face and just left the rest of him in the middle of the floor. I guess it's better than working at Amazon, though? Anyway, the apes got this cool-ass setup in the basement of BJ's mom's house. You should see it. There's this kick-ass pool down there. I have no idea how you get a huge pool in the basement of a small house, but he found a way. Separate lines, he found a way. Now, if only the ape could remember to take out the garbage in his office before he leaves for the weekend, everyone else does it. That includes Stephen Wheat, who works in accounting and shits out of his mouth? <laughs> anyway, that's what's going on here in Harriman, New York, home, home of the... Yeah, man, I'm pretty sure he was high, but let's just get back to it. <laughs> now, let's get back to the show! That's fantastic. Do you have a, do you have a favorite of the shows you've worked on so far? I don't. Uh, I think I've gotten something beautiful from every single one of them. I really couldn't choose a favorite. Um, I've had nothing but really good experiences. And so I feel very blessed to say and lucky that every project's given me something. Um, rather that be creative inspiration, um, a chance to tell a story I've never been able to tell or um, a, a story in a really unique space. Like, I'm a huge fan of My Little Pony. Uh, no cap, I am. And so being able to write for that show when it was one of my first initial paid opportunities was sort of a really beautiful full circle moment for me. Um, so I would, I would say maybe, like, the one that I was nerding out the most over at a younger age in this, in this uh, journey has been My Little Pony. Yes. What was the what was that segue like? So it's not it's not far to go from Dungeons and Dragons to to writing on your own. But like, when was that moment when you started to go in that direction? And say, I want to be a TV writer. Well, D and D for me was never something I thought I could pursue professionally. It's something I luckily uh, fell into uh, because I am such a big lover of the online YouTube space and the streaming space. Um, I just happened to be there when all the lightning in a bottle was happening. Um, but the real reason I wanted to become a television writer or started to pursue that, because back where I'm from, I didn't even know this was a career I could have, uh, started in theater. And that's actually a corner of my life that I still really nurture and foster. I'm very luckily just brought one of my, one of my musicals to a workshop on the West End, uh, which is so surreal to say. And um, it's moving there next year. So... You know, it really did begin with the stage. Uh, if you can't tell, I was in community theater as well. Uh, that was always a very sacred and sa like safe space for me growing up. I didn't have a lot of friends. I couldn't find a lot of like-minded people. But when you're on that stage, all of that goes away. Um, and it's just about the art. Um, so I started writing plays, stage plays and musicals when I was very young, 12, 13, 14. Um, went to college originally for t very different things. French and cultural anthropology and art history, which many I still have degrees in, but uh, decided to transfer over and pursue TV when I realized it was possible. Nice. Was there anyone that inspired you along the way? The biggest inspiration for me is Monsieur Jim Thomas, throwing it to you. 
Um, I didn't have a lot of support systems for the things I wanted to pursue, but something sparked in me. And like, I think I was in sixth grade when he came to classes and everybody was talking about the different languages that, you know, all these teachers were pitching their languages, take French, take German, take Spanish. And then Jim Thomas came about my teacher who I eventually ended up getting taught under and he kind of took me under his wing and something about him just, he was sort of like a Robin Williams. Um, I still keep in touch with him today. We still exchange emails but he wrote a musical and then put it up on my high school stage and it blew me away. I was seventh and eighth grade. I was like, how does somebody do that? That's magnificent. You, you spent 10 years writing a musical and you adapted a book you love. And like, if you can do it, then maybe I can. And that really started sort of him guiding me um, and being such a great support and such a wonderful teacher and a beautiful spirit. Um, to give me that inspiration to create. And a lot of what I've done has come from that moment of him doing something great. Was he, you know, typically I'll always ask the question, what was the best advice you ever got? Uh, would he be the person that you said you got great solid advice from? I don't know if he, he was more of like a big umbrella person for me. In terms of specific advice, I think the best I, advice I ever got, gosh, it's so, that's such a great question. But for me, it's sort of advice I found um, along the way. I came up in the NBC page program. I equipped myself with all my degrees to try to do the best I could by taking all these internships and doing all this stuff. And I had a very fast mind. Um, and as a young Native woman trying to break into this business, I was like, okay, I got to get on the business side of it. I got to become an amazing assistant, great at emails and fantastic at coordinating. And I was too good at all that stuff. And I like kind of lost a little bit of the focus on writing. And then one day I woke up and I said, wait a minute, you don't, you're not an assistant. You're a writer. Your dream isn't to be a writer's assistant. Your dream isn't to be a script coordinator. Your dream is to be a writer. And the moment that changed in my brain was the moment that everything started to fall in, into place for me. So it's, it's such a beautiful description of a growth mindset Yeah, that, that you touched on, because I think sometimes it's easy when you're a creative to sort of get that tunnel vision and, and stay in your lane and be comfortable and not continue to branch out and grow and learn. And uh, I, I think you put it there wonderfully, but let me ask you on that same topic, is there any advice that you would give to young creators that are out there watching this? Yes, I would say um, there's so many things I would love to say, but I think the most important thing is what you're likely trying to run from is your power. So the thing that makes you the thing like that makes you the most unique is the beautiful thing about you. Don't try. It's good to learn how to copy other voices. It's good to write scripts. So one day when you're hired underneath, you know, and you're on staff or a show, you can mimic the creator's voice and vision, but do not lose that who you are inside of that. Don't keep running for something, run into yourself and run into your own voice and the things you want to say while respecting everybody else around you and not trying to be egocentric, but just sort of nurturing that along the way, more like a plant that's growing and needs love and nurture to become whatever planet's going to become. So 
that's sort of my advice for you. I think that I became, again, as a Native woman, I became very good at mimicking other voices to break into the business. And then I had to have a bit of a reset in order to say, okay, wow, now I can finally tell the stories I want to tell. And that was scary for me. So I had to take some time adjusting to finding that power again. So that's my advice. It's beautifully said. I just have one more question for you, but first, uh, tell us where we can where we can find you. Where can we find all the things that you're doing? Oh, as my shows are on HBO Max and Dis- they're everywhere on Disney. It's just go go watch some of the shows if you would like to look up and see what I've done. They're listed underneath IMDb. I would say where I'm the loudest, um, quite literally the loudest is Twitter. So you can find me there. I talk about projects, everything in between that I'm doing. I talk about what I'm passionate about too, politically on a higher level too, about what's going on in the world. I really do believe in uh, the greater collective spirit of all of us doing great things. So uh, that handle is at Kelly Lynn Dang. So K-E-L-L-Y-L-Y-N-N-E-D-A-N-G. That was was great. Um, My last question is what I ask everybody. If there's, what's the one question that you've always wanted to be asked in an interview uh, that that you just haven't been asked yet? Okay. What is it about 1997's Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella featuring Brandy that makes you so obsessed with it? What, what is it? I don't think because I, I distinctly remember and love that version. I, I enjoy it quite a bit, but I would love to hear it. I would love to hear it. Okay. So it is the first time when I was a child, the only world I could see myself existing in as a young little native girl. I saw like Victor Garber and Whoopi Goldberg popping out Pablo Montalban. Like, no, like this, it didn't make any logical sense to most people probably. But for me, I thought, wow, I could exist there. Because, like, the logic is true to magic. And so I hope that people start opening up their minds beyond race, beyond gender, beyond everything, and really start to approach anything within the fantasy realm, anything within the magical realm, by including all of us, because it made a huge impact on me. You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty upset that the Mets are good now. Why is that? Well, because now we can't experience things like when they had a 97-year-old pitching coach. You mean Phil Regan? Yeah, that guy who played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. That team hasn't even existed for 65 years. Like, do you understand how close we all came to having this super old guy coaching the Mets? Do you understand the kind of comedy gold that could have been, like right now when we need laughter the most? He probably wouldn't even remember who was on the team. Regan would be in the dugout chewing tobacco and saying shit like, send in Willie Mays. And then one of the guys on the bench would be like, coach, Willie Mays is dead. And then Regan would be like, the hell he is, get him in there. I don't think Willie Mays is dead. He's not. And I hope Willie Mays lives forever, I really do. But Willie Mays also hasn't played for the Mets since 1973. Anyway, I just want people to understand the potential joy that we're all deprived of now that the Mets are good. Hmm. Well, that's all for this week. If you enjoyed this episode of Weiwo.tv, you know what you need to do. Rate us and leave us a review wherever your favorite podcast can be found. That'll help people find this show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you did. You did enjoy the show, right? We're going to assume you did, because you made it to the outro. Most people don't. Be sure to follow BJ on Instagram at BJ Mendelson and tell him who you'd like to see interviewed next. 
You can also text your suggestions to BJ at 646-331-8341. But don't call that number. BJ says he's only going to answer if you're Melissa O'Neill from ABC's The Rookie. Also, only if you're going to ask him out on a date. We'll see you next time, right?